Hi, everybody. This is Michael Shepard with PerfectingPizza.com. I want to take a quick moment to invite you to check out our website, PerfectingPizza.com, and to tell you a little bit about our new program called The Pizza Coach. So for $99, you get all of the goodies of the website, plus you get access to ask us questions directly through a special online portal on the website. So if you want a second set of eyes on your pizzeria floor plan, dough recipe troubleshooting, opinion and direction through an employee situation, need somebody to give a quick review of your menu or maybe your P&L, that's what this program is for. It's somebody to lean on in the pizza industry. Also, want to do a special mention for one of our newest partners, Moving Targets. They do an amazing job with new resident mailers, direct mail, social media, and email marketing. I use them for many years in my pizzerias. So check them out at movingtargets.com. And also, if you are a member of perfectingpizza.com and you sign up for Moving Targets, you get an exclusive $100 discount after you've used their services for three months. So you just need to go to perfectingpizza.com, log into your account, go to the partners section, click on moving targets, and send them an inquiry through the form on their page. And that is what initiates that $100 discount. Um, that's the only way to get it. You have to go through the, uh, the uh, page on the website and you have to be a perfectingpizza.com member. And I encourage you to check that out. Mm. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Shepard, and uh, I've got my co-host here, Siler Chapman. We are the founders of PerfectingPizza.com, and we're also two of the founding members of the World Pizza Champions. Uh, you can find out more about us at WorldPizzaChampions.com. Um, myself, Siler, along with Tony Gemignani and Joe Carlucci, founded this team way back in uh, 2004-2005-ish. And I've been around the world competing, uh, winning lots of awards. I've won four world titles. Siler only has three. He's still trying wow. to get to four. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, find out more at perfectingpizza.com <laughs> and worldpizzachampions.com. We are here to give you our two cents on the pizza industry. Uh, we want to share some knowledge from our decades upon decades of operating our own pizzerias, helping others. Uh, we want to answer your questions. Um, and we're also going to bring in some great pizza operators from around the country. Um, they're going to help, um, give some great insights, nuggets and tidbits that will help make everybody, um, operate their businesses much more successfully and profitably. Um, this is our very first episode and, uh, you can hear Siler there does not know how to operate his mic and he's making all kinds of noise and Sorry, yes. tapping, <clears throat> tapping on his keyboard and <laughs> eating his Doritos and drinking Sprite. So That's right. um, we'll, we'll try and work through it. And by the time we get to episode 100, <laughs> well, maybe we'll figure out exactly what we're doing. I'll have a recording so, studio by then. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, it's uh, myself and Siler here. Uh, we do have a special guest that we'll introduce in a moment. But one of the pieces of what we want to do is we want to take an opportunity. Siler and I want to teach, take an opportunity, and we're going to give our guest an opportunity to talk about something in the pizza industry that is either bothering them um, or exciting them or just something they really, really want to talk about. But for me, it's something that, that, that is, bothers me over and over and over again, and it's the whole pizza snob mentality that I keep seeing in the industry. Um, and, I'm, and I'm going to go ahead and say it, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, and you guys can chime in anytime during what I'm talking about, but um, Domino's Pizza is pizza. Little Caesars is pizza. Um, Papa John's is 
pizza. Um, there's a reason why half of the country eats from chains. You know, half of the pizzerias, give or take a couple percentage points in the country, are chains. So obviously, the average person in the United States, 50% of them eat chain pizza, or otherwise we would not have all of these chains. Um, pizza is extremely subjective. What one person thinks is great pizza is totally different than what the other person thinks is great pizza. I don't like Domino's, you know, right? I don't like pizza. I don't like Little Caesars. But at the same time, you know what? I'm not really a big fan of Neapolitan pizza either. I mean, I appreciate it. I will eat it. I think it's good. I think it's okay. Um, but if you sit down in front of me with a, um, a typical Midwestern style, double cheese, double pepperoni, sausage, mushroom, I mean, I'm going to choose that pizza every time over the fancy prosciutto um, San Marzano cooked in a Neapolitan oven imported from Italy. Um, I mean, you can make, you can, a pizza that comes out of a conveyor that was made run through a sheeter um, or a press is every much illegitimate pizza as something using authentic Italian methods from, I don't know, from the, uh, you know, 1400s or whatever. Um, they're just different styles of pizza. Now, you can argue that one has better quality than the other, and there's definitely there are varying degrees of quality between different ingredients. You know, I'd much rather have a pizza that's using grande cheese and Stanislaus on it than uh, some of these other low-quality ones. But I, I want what tastes good, and it doesn't really matter how it was made. Um, I don't know. That's just something bothering me. I mean, I've seen some, some, some posts on social media um, where people were, were just are bashing people that use conveyors and bashing people because they're not using double zero, bashing people because they, you know, they, they're not in love with Neapolitan. But man, it's it's like half the country doesn't eat that stuff. No, for so, sure, half, for sure yeah. on that, Mike. And um, hey, everybody, it's Siler out here, and you know, I, I I think it's all in what region you grow up in. I also think you know it's your from from a childhood standpoint. You know, you remember when your mom used to get you Pizza Hut, but your mom also didn't know any better of here's a New York slice, here's Neapolitan, still wasn't around there, or maybe a Detroit pan pizza, you know. So there's so many different styles out there, and I think it really boils down to so many what were you growing up with as a kid, and then have you become a foodie since then? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with just the ease of access of information now. We're so much more exposed to the options. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that, um, yeah. So, you know, and, and that's a good rant there on, on, I think, heck, I mean, my wife likes one certain style of pizza versus me, you know, I like my own style and that's the unique piece about pizza. So I think if you got bread sauce and some cheese on it, you can call it a pizza. Now how, what well it is and how great, that's a whole nother story and that's a different topic for sure. Right. So, so that, that, that's my, my two cents for today. So what do you, what do you got? You know, my, my big thing is, is um, owning a restaurant is just like when I used to race motocross professionally back in the day. Um, my, my trainers used to tell me, Siler, you got to go slower before you can go faster. And I think so many people want to have that mega million dollar store 
but they don't do the baby steps in the beginning to get to the mega million dollar store. And so what, so oh, go ahead. I agree with, I agree with you. So everyone that I'm crystal spot up, um, we'll do an intro later, but I grew up around, um, NASCAR racing. My dad yep. owned a couple stock car teams. And so I did race go-karts when I was younger and you're right. Like owning a restaurant, you've got a lot of curves and a lot of just turns that come at you. And if you don't go into that curve slower, you can't gun it out of that curve. And I think, Silo, you're just, you're right. People are gunning it at every opportunity and every curve that comes their way. And they're just spiraling out of control. That's right. That's right. And they, and they, they missed, um, we call it the baby steps, but I, I believe that's your true foundation to get you to the next level in sales, um, next level in profitability, um, we got to start at the basics, guys. And and what do I mean by that is, you know, weigh in your toppings, weigh in your pizzas. Well, oh, it's not authentic. It's not sprinkling. That's if you're into that, then you're not going to do a big volume. You're not going to do a lot of profit. Um, if you're in it to make money, then you got to do the right steps. And the fundamentals is your food costs, getting it under control, weighing, knowing exactly what each pizza is. And one of the great things that we have um, Mike, that I didn't have back in the day is, well, and it was probably out there, but I didn't have resources on it, is you can actually measure the square inches of each pizza and being the same so all your toppings are the same across a 12-inch, a 14, a 16, a 20-inch. It doesn't matter. And and there's one spreadsheet that can do all that for you. I, I just think that's amazing, and I wish I had that at my fingertips 15 years ago, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely information and technology's come a long way. But yes. you know, to, to just to to, talk, to build on what you just said, Tyler, and and I want to I use Tony, our friend Tony Gemignani, as example. You know, Tony Tony's been a good friend, and we've learned a ton of stuff over the years. Um, and we we knew Tony back when he was just kind of getting started in all this, and and so we've we've had a front row seat to see how Tony's grown from from one store into the you know to the icon that he is now. And what everybody wants to do is they want to go from zero to Tony Gimignani overnight. And they didn't see, they see Tony where he is right now. And that's what they want their restaurants to be. They want to be, Mm -hmm. they want to be Tony's Pizzeria Napolitano and they want to be Pizza Rock overnight. But they didn't see the, the, the five, 10, 15, 20 years of hard work that Tony put into that every single day working you know, 16 hours a day, seven days a week to get there. And they think they can just come in and maybe go to Pizza Expo, take a few courses, and then boom, there they are. That's right. It it doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter. Now, being prepared, taking classes, um, learning, that that gives you a much better chance of success. And it makes that, it maybe it takes that from being a 20-year voyage to maybe a five-year or, or a 10 year, but you're still going to put that work in and you're still going to work right. yourself to, to, you know, you've got to put that, that, that work in. And, and we'll think about this, Mike, think about how long Tony's been in the game and you talk to him today. He's still learning new things. He's still trying new things. He's uh, still educating himself every single day. And Oh, by the way, the 16 hours has not slowed down for Tony. I think he works 20 hours a day. Poor guy gets maybe four hours of sleep. So at the end of the day, Y'all want that, but you don't have the work ethic to go get it. And that's that's a big thing, too, yeah, that I'm seeing. Absolutely. People think they can buy their way into it and say, oh, 
well, I, I've got a million bucks. I can buy my way into the industry and let somebody else run it. Well, that's not going to work because you don't even know what you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into introducing our guest this week. We have uh, the famous, at least we think she's famous. <laughs> World I'm famous. Sure she is famous. Yes. <laughs> Crystal, Crystal Spada. Crystal is the co-owner. Let yeah. me get this. The, your, of um, Vallejo's Pizza. And is it Vallejo's Pizza or Vallejo's Pizzeria? Vallejo's Pizza. Vallejo's Pizza in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah, we're not that famous. Um, we don't need the Ria. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the difference between just being a regular blue-collar pizza shop and being a fancy pizza shop. Yeah. That's right. That's Ria. right. We're just yeah, good old pizza. Yeah. So, all right. So, you have two locations now. Yes, we do. Um, yes. Both, both of them are in Kenosha. Yeah, um, Kenosha County. So one's technically in Kenosha, Wisconsin. One's technically in Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. Okay. All right. And you have been in business overall. I, uh, just tell us, you know, yeah, the business you, itself has been there a long time. And then how long have you guys? Yeah. Yeah. So Vallejo's Pizza is um, almost 54 years old. We, um, Sam Vallejo started it. He owned it for approximately seven years. And then my in-laws owned it for um, about 40 years. And then we've owned it coming up six years. So okay. it's been around, it's been established. It was one of the, it was the third um, pizza restaurants in our town, um, Kenosha. And right now we have got about 50 different pizza places. So it's wow. got a long, yeah, it's got a long history. Um, and it's just been a staple of the community that we've been honored to now be a part of and kind of expand its legacy. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. Great. Let me ask on this, Mike, uh, I want to ask, the world famous Crystal. Um, <laughs> now, because y'all took over the pizzeria six years ago, yeah. Um, let, let's talk about this. Did Did you buy your way in, or did you just did you actually have to go in and, and actually learn the industry yourself? So, my in laws owned it for forty years before us. So, I'm married into the pizza business. Okay. My husband is one of five kids, but he's the only boy, and so it's kind of their dream that he would one day um, buy it. We definitely bought it. It was not given to us. We did not inherit it. And I think that's a big dis distinction because it was a choice right. consciously made and it didn't just come on our laps. Okay. Um, so about six years ago, well, actually about eight years ago, we expressed interest in um, buying the location from my in-laws. And so we spent two years aggressively saving um, for the restaurant. We lived in Washington, D.C. And um, then about two years into the saving, we bought um, – bought Vallejo's from my in-laws. Now they still worked for us. They just didn't want all of the burdens of owning it. They wanted to do what they loved and pass off, you know, what they didn't. Um, but in doing so they gave up ownership, you know, so. Absolutely. Now, as far as you, did you get in and start making pizzas yourself or did you just go in managing? So we moved to Kenosha um, in around November in 2011. And so we didn't buy the restaurant until September, 2012. And so we had time to kind of get in there and relearn it. Now, Eric knew everything. He, my in-laws owned the restaurant longer than we've been alive. And so my husband just kind of knew the ins and out, every part of the business. He was managing it um, as a teenager. And so kind of coming back, he would go in and manage on Friday nights and really kind of scope out kind of where the, the state of the business, you know, what are the team members like, what are operations like, um, you know, kind of all that. So we kind of spent those few months, several months, just relearning how my in-laws were running it. 
and that was my opportunity to come in and just learn the business. I, my, again, my, uh, you guys have heard this, no one else knows this, but my first job in the restaurant industry was as an owner. And so I had a steep hmm. learning curve ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. But wow. you know what? I would have never, ever, ever done it had it not been for my husband's experience in Vallejo's, not just the restaurant industry, but in the actual right. business we bought. Okay. And that, and that's what I wanted to get to, like everybody, like she actually went in and actually started working it, but she's never yeah, came from the restaurant business. No, I made pizzas. There I you go. That's what it. I like to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that like, see, we use raw, you know, raw sausage. So like it kept sticking my fingers and I kept like shaking it off. <laughs> I oh, would just sit yeah. there and I'd watch everyone else and I just like practice. There so I knew that if I could sausage the pizza well, I would get credibility with the team. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Now so what, um, um, Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. I was going to say what, what's your number one rank right now in, in the pizza industry? What do you, what do you see is going on that you want to talk about? Well, I obviously, well, you guys know, I'm very passionate about hiring. I'm very passionate about getting the right team in your business. I think that frees up you to work on your business and not in your business. And when you do that, you just get this renewed passion because you get to do what you love. And you get to inspire others. So what I see, especially in our area, so in Kenosha, um, maybe the world doesn't know, but we've got lots of jobs coming in. We've got Haribo coming in, you know, the gummy bear factory um, is coming in. We um, won the contract, or Kenosha County won the contract for um, the company, the Chinese company that makes the touch screens for Apple's for Apple phones. I'm totally okay. blanking on the name. Um, you guys can Google that right now and you can tell the world. Um, so we've got another, we've got about 20,000 jobs coming to Kenosha in the next year or so. Holy moly. So, and these are jobs. So we got a few years ago, we got an Amazon distribution center. We got another, um, company coming in and doing another, um, several thousand jobs. We have the headquarters for Uline and they are expanding like crazy. So Kenosha County has about 120,000 people and we're about to explode. So my, what I'm thinking on the horizon is I'm thinking two years out. Okay. We've got all these higher paying jobs that are low skill jobs. So all of a sudden, you know, like a Costco or an Amazon jobs are going to start, you know, in our town, we have minimum wage of 725. So these jobs are going to come in at $12, $13, $15 an hour, and somehow I've got to compete. Mm -hmm. That's challenging. So I'm looking two years down the road going, who do we need to become to therefore compete in culture, in um, job experience, in adding value to people's lives? So because I can't necessarily compete dollar-wise. So I'm going, okay, factory jobs tend to be you know, you tend to be a number, you tend to like get the soul sucked out of you. You know, who can we be to counteract those dollars in quality of life, in quality of value that we give to our team members? And I think that's what it takes. And that's what's on the horizon. Oh, very nice. Yeah. 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 It's not going to get, it's not going to get any easier for food service. No, um, absolutely. To, and you to, know what? Like at all. the economy is thriving that's wonderful, but that makes it harder for us to get good people because we can't always compete mm-hmm. dollars wise. So, you know, you guys didn't know this, but last week I, ju- I met Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A. And he was kind of saying how wow. they, they stay on the front end of this part of the game um, with people. And they say, he said, you have to be cool. 
people want to be a part of something cool. So you have to find elements of cool within your business and really promote it because then again, people are knocking down your door to work for you rather than you having to go hunt for people when that's not your job. You didn't open a restaurant to do HR. (laughs) You didn't. That's right. Yeah. So who, who are you attracting is who you are. If you don't like who you're attracting, change who you are. Or at least get out there what you're doing. So social media is not like this teenage thing anymore. This is where business is. Get out there. Let people see you shine and you're going to attract the people that you want, hopefully. No, that makes sense. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I'm trying to remember exactly what year it was, but it was, I think it was early 2000s. The economy was like red hot. Mm-hmm. It was like unemployment was like low, low, you know, it was like two, 3%. I'm, I might be wrong, but it was so low that it was nearly, it was, it was that point where, where they, they said that ever, anyone who wanted a job had a job. Yep. So it was, is virtually complete full employment. And we were constantly, I mean, it was one of the worst times ever, even compared to just now, everybody says things are so bad now, but compared to now it was even worse because we would get somebody we would train them and then a week later they'd get this great full-time job at a factory making $15 an hour full benefits whatever right we'd lose them get the next person in we'd get them fully trained and then they would get this great amazing job you know to this this place that just opened up down the road and it was just a cycle we could not keep anybody and it wasn't because they were bad people they were bad employees or anything like that. It was just because there was, everybody was, there were so many good opportunities out there and you didn't, you couldn't, you couldn't fault him for leaving. I mean, here I am paying, you know, that that was back when minimum wage was for us was like $5 an hour, give or take. And we were paying six fifty, Yeah. and, and they were getting jobs for $15 an hour and full benefits week vacation. I mean, I mean, there's no way to compete. Yeah. It would take that too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I might just shut this store down. Yeah. What's important to remember is pizza is an anti-cyclical business, which means when the economy is up, we struggle a little bit. When the economy is down, we thrive, at least for Vallejo's. What it it boils it down to is when the economy is down, people will cut out almost everything except their pizza delivery or pizza. It's Mm. kind of like that staple you know, they're going to give up Olive Garden. They're going to give up Cheddar's. They're going to give up dining out, but they're not going to give up their pizza delivery. That's like the one right. thing they really hold on to. Now, mm-hmm. when business is going well, yeah, they're going to go out to the nice steak dinner. They are. You know, then you kind of like get a little left to the wayside. Um, you're still going to have pizza. You're just not going to have it as much. So right. we try to remember is we're kind of in this. There's an element of pizza that's anti-cyclical to where the business economy is. And so just to remember that. That's, yep. yep. I like that yep. a lot. All right. So through the pizza um, coach program that we have on Perfecting Pizza, we actually had someone ask a great question. And I wanted to talk about that today is, can you cook a Detroit pizza in a conveyor oven? Yep. So my answer is yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I've cooked, for me, you know, this is my, my answer to the question. Again, everybody's got their own opinion, but Conveyor ovens um, do a great job of cooking most pizzas. Um, I always like to say is, is conveyor ovens cook, they do a great job at cooking, but they will always be kind of a knockoff or an imitation of the real thing. 
Um, deck ovens always, almost always the best way to cook a pizza, almost always the best way to cook a pizza in almost every circumstance, it will always make a superior pizza. But that being said, you know, when it comes to things like training your staff, or if you've got a transient staff, or you just need things to be, you need to have a B plus product every single time conveyor oven is going to give it to you. Now, the nice thing about conveyors is the ability to control the top heat and the bottom heat separately so um you know so you can adjust your fingers so you can blast that thing with maximum heat on the bottom and then restrict the airflow back on the top so Mm -hmm. for a detroit style pizza you're going to be cooking in a pan you want a long slow bake so in a conveyor really all you need to do is you need to have your fingers wide open across the bottom as open Mm -hmm. as they can get maximum airflow coming from the bottom the top, you want to pretty much cut your airflow uh, probably at least in half, if not, if not even a little less than that. So, you know, like let's say a typical entry-level conveyor oven is going to be about a 40-inch bake chamber. You know, like you take an entry-level Edge, uh, XLT, Middle B, Lincoln. Um, they usually are a bake chamber of about 40 inches. Um, so that 40-inch bake chamber is going to have four fingers. And so looking at it across the top, you would probably do, you would probably blank out two of those, either blank it all the way at the back of the, of the, what I would call the firewall, and you don't even have a finger, or you in, install two radiant panels. So you do get a, you have no holes where air is coming down on those two fingers, but you do have a blank air is traveling down that finger, heating up the finger. So you get a little bit of radiant heat coming off of it. The other two fingers um, are going to be kind of maybe half open, you know, and every manufacturer does their fingers a little bit different. The plates that go in them, one, everybody's different, but, but I think you would, so what I want to say, what I'm trying to say is at the end of the day, you would probably have somewhere between 25% to 50% airflow coming out of the top. Okay. Um, based on blocking two fingers off the other two fingers that are left, maybe they're both wide open. Maybe they're both half open, and you just got to play around with it. Um, and then you, you want to go low and slow on, on something like that. So a low temperature, maybe 470, maybe 450-ish, somewhere around there, and then work your way up. And then maybe you want to be maybe eight minutes, eight and a half minutes bake time to get through that chamber. But the biggest thing... I want to say is it just takes lots and lots and lots and <laughs> lots of trial and error. That's Put right. Put it in, send it through, you know, so you just got to, you just got to practice with it. And I've seen yeah. some people have good luck with what they do. Um, the conveyors, if you, if you want to, I know a, a company here in Ohio that's having really good luck cooking Detroit's in a conveyor is master pizza up in the Cleveland area. Um, done a really good job of, of they've introduced a Detroit, a really nice Detroit style pizza cooking it in their conveyors, um, having really good luck. And what they do is they actually pop it out of the pan. They, they leave room. So what we call leave a buffer zone behind that pizza as it's going through. They pull it out of the oven, pull it out of the pan, and they left room to be able to push it back in. That's right. So then they take it out of the pan, throw it back in there, and then they give it like another minute of no pan around it to give it a little extra crisp. So they're trying to cheat the system a little bit of, um, you know, of, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of defeating the, yeah, they're getting crispiness in a conveyor that they normally couldn't get. But at the same time, when you cook in a pan with lots of oil, 
um, you do get a crisp, you, you get a frying effect in a conveyor or a deck oven regardless. So that's, that's my answer there. On I that. like that. What do you think? No. So, um, I, I totally like that idea. And one of the cool things nowadays is if you're doing multiple styles of pizza, look at a, um, look at split belts because yes, your Detroit is going to run at a different temperature than your thin crust multi-top. Uh, so definitely look at the split belt options so that mm-hmm. you can definitely, Hey, if we're selling a lot of Detroit's, you've got a whole section of oven that's just made for that. And it's not messing up your other topping pizzas as well. Yeah. And from a marketing yeah. perspective, you could, I mean, how cool would this be to live stream it on Facebook or, or record it all and make a video of how we tested I mean, if they're trying to get this out, they're going to want to market it. And the best way That's to market right. it is show the testing of it. You know, bring in your top five customers and have them taste it. You know, so invite them into the experience, invite them into the process, and let them market for you. I love it. Absolutely. And yeah. that's why she's world famous, guys. <laughs> well, I think you, what we've got to do is invite people into our journey. They want to see you succeed, but they want to see the bloopers, too. And we've become this oh, like, yeah. highly curated environment where we got to just make people laugh. We want to show them we're real people. When we show them we're real people, they'll forgive our mistakes. That's right. But if we try right. to pretend we're perfect, they're going to have no mercy when we kind of become human. That's right. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, you always, you can't waste any marketing opportunities no. ever. Not no. in today's time. You know, not with, the, no. not with the phones the way they are. Just turn on your camera. Turn on the video, you know, just document the process. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, All right. So that's to the next question. Are we ready to move on to our next question? Yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, so th- this one I want to direct to you. I'll go ahead okay. and read it off here. Um, is it, you know, social media, I'll, I'll kind of set the question up. Social media is the big thing now. Millions of companies out there doing social media, pay me 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month. 600 bucks a month, 1500 bucks a month, and I'll do your social media for you. Um, so the question is, one, it's a two-part question. Do I need to be doing social media? And two, should I be paying somebody, a, a professional, to do my social media for me? So what do you think? Man, that? that's a good one. And uh, Crystal, let me, let me yeah. finish on this one because I'm going to ping on you on this one as well. But um, I totally, Mike... I think absolutely no NFs, buts about it. You have to be on social media, period, dot, dot. There's no way around it if you want to survive in today's world. Um, Or if you're in a town of 300 people and nobody has internet out there, which there are some places in the world like that. But if you're in a anywhere else, you got to be on social media. Two, do you need to hire someone? Well, that's, that goes two folds as well. So, me personally, the answer is no. Well, why? Because I've got a 15, 16-year-old uh, girl on the front counter that if I don't know anything about social media, she can teach me everything I need to know about it, okay? Uh, one, um, is my store at a level where I can afford $1,500 a month? You know, it's, it, it is hard to do the return on investment, but no matter what, you still have to be there. So again, I think if you can take pictures, document, like Crystal said, your interaction with your guests and having fun and what you do behind the scenes in your restaurant, that's fun. Document it and throw it out there. That's easy. And that's all people want to be or see is 
what you're really about behind the closed doors and not that you're fake or setting up stuff. So one thing is, yes, you can do it yourself. Two, are you large enough and you don't have so much time to do it and you can't hire someone internal because you just don't know what they're going to put out there? Then maybe, but maybe if you're a multi-chain operation, if you have three, four stores, then you can bring one person in dedicated just to that. Um, I think that's a better aspect than taking it to a big firm. But maybe cost-wise of hiring a full-time employee to do that isn't cost-effective, but how much are they really giving you for $600, $1,500, where if you invested in a full-time per- person that could give it to you every single day, two, three, maybe even four posts a day per store? So I think that's a great question. However, I think if you're beginning out and starting, you need to do it yourself. You need to be that personal touch with your clients or your customers and and um, and and get to know it yourself. Because when these you do have the money to do it with the big firms, you need to know what you're talking about, too, so you're not being taken advantage of. Crystal, jump in on that one. No, I agree with you. So we just kind of went through this ourselves. So when we opened our second location in October of 2017 – we priced out with our branding company, um, social media, you know, as if you guys have opened a restaurant before, you know how insanely chaotic it is. And then throwing that we have three biological kids and foster care. We do foster care. It was honestly like there were times where we literally thought we would collapse like from heart attack. Mm-hmm. And so the easiest thing we thought to do was to outsource our marketing or our, our marketing and our social media. So I got a quote for our social media and it came to $5,000 a month. That's it? I just, I couldn't believe it. And I kind of like, after I like picked myself up off the floor, I was going, okay, that's not an option. And budgeting wise, we could have made it work. We could have, but I'm going, you know what? First of all, I said, I can hire someone internally and pay them five grand a month. I could probably pay them three grand a month, you know, mm-hmm. fresh out of college. And they would be thrilled and they would do a better job than I was currently doing. But then I kind of said, okay, if I got to pay myself this money, what could I do? And so I just kind of decided that I'm going to see what I can do. And, you know, I don't take the money that stays in the business, but I want the business to grow. And so I took it on and I started just diving into, okay, what does it take to work on this platform? Because what works on Facebook is not what works on Instagram, is not what works on Twitter, is not what works on YouTube. And so I kind of said, okay, I'm going to learn how to fully optimize Facebook first. And then I'm going to fully optimize Instagram. And then I'm going to fully optimize. So it's a journey, one. uh, But two, I think people have got to realize that social media is word of mouth. There's no such thing as word of mouth anymore. Social media is today's word of mouth. And so if you're not in it, I don't know how much longer you're going to be alive in the business. Um, But doing something is better than doing nothing. Another thing I want people to understand is you are going to feel like an idiot. You just are. So social media is word of mouth these days. And so people just want to see something. You don't have to be flawless. I think people want to see the blooper reel, like I said before, and just show them who you are and shine, but do it in the medium that you're comfortable with. If you're not comfortable on camera at first, do audio, do a podcast, 
If you're not comfortable on that, do a blog, write, find your medium that you're most comfortable with and start there. And as you become more comfortable, explore the other mediums that is social media, but you have to just go for it. That's right. Absolutely. Now, Crystal, are you guys doing anything with Snapchat yet? Uh, (laughs) I had to bring it up. I know Snapchat is, so what I'm doing right now is I'm playing with geo filters. So I'm kind of like, you know, on Adobe Illustrator, just playing with different filters. I'm sending them to people that I think are cooler than me. Um, You know, 13 year olds, 12 year olds, 11 year olds. I can't just target the person like me who's 34 and a mom of four kids. I have to hit the 13 year old, the 10 year old, the eight year old. Okay. What do they think is cool? Because they influence what the parents buy and where they eat. That's so right. I want to find cool ways for them to interact with our brand as well. So the geo filters I'm working with, you know, so that for you, you guys who don't know what that is, it's basically when they're on Snapchat, you can look at an element of Snapchat and say, okay, what are the filters that are in my area? So mm-hmm. businesses or cities or amenities in your city can say, if you're in this parameter between these streets and these streets, you can see our filter. And so oftentimes they'll layer that on their photos. And so I want them to be able to interact with our brand in the format that they have fun with. That's right. That's right. And that's where, and everybody, that's where Snapchat is uh, at that, you know, 12 to 16 year olds are wearing Snapchat out where we're in our thirties and forties. Nobody's using Snapchat. So you got to know where your, your customers are coming from, who influences them to come to your restaurant. And Crystal just went crazy IT on you. Now she has a wonderful (laughs) brain of a husband that can help her with that. So let's, but don't get freaked out. Don't let that. Yeah. It's taking people like, well, I don't have time to do it. Well, yes, you do because this is your business. And there's an hour in your day that you're not really doing anything. You're just looking on your phone. You're waiting for the next customer to come in. YouTube it. It's just like that. They give you step-by-steps on how to do that kind of stuff. And, and it's so vital. What's fun about this is no one else is doing it. So That's if you right. do it, you get the leg up. You That's have to right. stop looking at where your business is, and you have to figure out where it is going to be and just jump there. That's because right. all the other you know, independents are competing at the same level and you just get to like leapfrog over them. That's right. Do not think this is just for the big companies. This is not, this is for us. And I'm really glad that no one else is doing it because it makes us stand out more. Okay. So we'll edit that part out. So nobody hears that part. (laughs) (laughs) So so edit away. Yeah. No, you're good. So do you buy, do you buy the chat snaps at the Walmarts? I don't know how this works. (laughs) That's a true statement now. Now, don't laugh, Crystal. Listen, a lot of people don't know what Snapchat is. So will you elaborate a little bit better? Because you probably have kids. Aren't your kids that old? snaps. Okay. Well, I'm not that familiar with Snapchat. This is just my, like, I'm, you know, putting my toe in the water kind of thing. So what I did was I just started watching YouTube videos about how to engage and interact on Snapchat. Um, It's definitely different than anything else. It's my least comfortable platform. I'm very I everybody's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It's, it's, a, it's big. So I need to figure it out. So I just started YouTubing it, just watching videos of like people who are explaining it. And then I just went, I opened my PC or my MacBook and I went to snapchat.com and they do a pretty good job of explaining like filters and geo filters. Um, 
And so I just kind of started playing with them. And you can, they have a map on their website. You go and say, okay, here's my restaurant. Here's how big I want my, my like geo filter to be. Um, and then I just started playing with just layers on Adobe Illustrator. Um, but it's all on YouTube. You can, I mean, there's a lot of great people explaining it. I'm, I'm just learning it. So I can't <laughs> do that any resource for you. But. So basically my kids are taking pictures of themselves doing selfies or of somebody else and it lasts less than 15 seconds. Yeah. And then it disappears once you send it to your friends or put it in a story or you for can your put friends it in a story, to see. Which is good for yep. 24 hours. That's right. So basically, yeah. So if someone's sitting in your restaurant, they take a, you know, a selfie, them and their friend, and then they can add your brand to their picture. So it's like a, um, a layer. It's like a frame over the picture. Mm. And so then your brand okay. gets uh, attached to their picture and then all of their friends can see it. That's right. And how, huh. how awesome would that, and Crystal, how, how much did that cost you to do that by the way? Um, so it depends on, you can, you can go by the day, you can go by the month. You, it, it's like this algorithm. So That's right. if I keep it in my restaurant for a day, it's, you know, it's pretty reasonable. If I keep it all over Kenosha County for a month, it gets really expensive. So uh-huh. they're really good at working with your budget, but it can be anywhere between like 50 bucks to like several thousand. Okay. But what, what would you say average? If um, I wanted I like, to do it like. So because this is like a test bullet okay we talk about test bullets like let's send out a bullet and if we calibrate the gun right then we'll send out the cannon so right now i'm playing with numbers that are like a hundred dollars or less there you go you heard it guys a hundred dollars or less i mean what's that three almost a little bit over three bucks a month i mean a day yeah i mean that's awesome it's worth it even if it doesn't work out i'll be like okay that didn't work for our like that element of snapchat didn't work for our business or hey maybe we're not cool enough what do we do to get cooler that's right i like that Mm, that's awesome that's oh and then my next so what i'm i actually just hired a ninja marketing team uh, which (laughs) sounds a lot cooler than it is but it's basically three guys who are really funky fun like kind of like kind of putting their toe on the line of what's Legal and crazy creative. <laughs> no, we will not break the law. You can edit that out if you want. Uh, okay. it in. But we're really trying to say how creative can we be with our marketing? So I have this ninja marketing team and um, I'm having them play with an app called Musical.ly. It's um, music.ly, Musical.ly. So it's another fun way that the young um, age group is interacting on social media. And so I'm trying to tie our brand Again, with that, you know, 13 to 15 demographic or maybe even younger um, so that they can associate their fun personality with our brand. Okay. That's so it's basically like um, you can lip sync to different musics and create these cool, funky little videos. But it's just, again, a way for people who are enjoying that to see our brand. And it's, a, it's an app that isn't Snapchat isn't Facebook, isn't Insta, so I have a better chance at standing out. Yeah, absolutely. Because oh, nobody's doing that. Right. That's good. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the third question here, Mike. Um, this one, you hit a home run the other day, a couple weeks ago, with a cool spreadsheet. And the person asked, is third-party delivery worse, or I'm sorry, worth the cost? 
So is third party yeah. deliveries companies worth the cost? <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Hit yeah, that so, one. You know, it, <laughs> so it's, 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 uh, I'll, I'll kind of tell you what, what I personally think about it you know, from the standpoint of being, you know, from owning my own pizzerias and understanding the delivery element. You know, we, we, at one point, you know, my, my business was 90% delivery. Um, and so my, my viewpoint from, 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 a, from owning a pizzeria that does a ton of delivery, you know, it, it, it's a ton of headaches, but, but it's what you do. It, it's, it's, you are a pizza delivery business. So if you have a pizzeria and delivery is one of the things you do, you need to own that. That is, that is what you do. It's just like any other business. Any, if you manufacture computers, you know, that's your business. You can't get somebody else to do it for you and expect it to go well. So, I mean, you know, there are things we can, you can outsource, of course. But, you know, if you're a pizza delivery place, you're a carryout delivery place, if you want delivery to go well, you've got to own it. You've got to follow through. You've got to execute it. You've got to hold yourself accountable and you've got to do it. Now, everybody is getting all wrapped up in the, all of these new third-party services that are coming out, thinking it's going to be the be-all, end-all, savior and deliverer of all these problems that we have in the pizza business. It's going to cure everything. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need insurance anymore. I don't need to worry about running motor vehicle records. I don't have to worry about my driver's cars breaking down. And it's a bunch of bull crap is basically what it is. Um, it's not going to fix your problems. I mean, it's, it's all you're going to do is you're going to get a new set of problems. Mm -hmm. You're, you are outsourcing something to somebody who doesn't care. They are not going to care. You know, they may care to a certain extent that they want to protect their brand and their business, but they're not going to care nearly as much as you do. So, so anyway, so that, that's, that's my opinion on, on whether you should do it or not. If you do delivery, you should do it and don't try to get anybody else to do it for you. Own it, understand the problems and just deal with it. You know, get a spine, get some thick skin and just work through the problems of being a pizza delivery business. Now, if you are a business that does, del that does no delivery and you just want to be able to maybe add it on as a convenience, well, maybe it's worth something to look, looking at. You know, maybe you want to look at it a little bit and explore it. And maybe you don't want to bring on you know, a bunch of drivers and have insurance and have that whole nother layer because maybe it's only going to be five or 10% of your business. Now, third-party delivery may very well make sense in that case. But the big thing is a lot of people are trying to, to replace themselves doing it with the third-party service and they jump into it and they don't realize the cost. They're doing some pseudo math mm -hmm. in their head. They're thinking, okay, well, I've got these, these thousands of dollars wrapped up into doing delivery. And this company is going to charge me 10%, 15%, 20%. Some of them are charging 33% of the total ticket to, to take that delivery. And guys are doing a math in their head and they're like, well, you know, it's kind of a wash, blah, 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 blah. They don't bother to do the real math. And if you do the real math, it's pretty darn scary. I mean, in some instances, I mean, it can be triple or quadruple the cost. It can be the difference of taking 20,000 deliveries a year, costing you maybe $20,000. And if you outsource that to a third party, it may cost you $100,000. It, it all depends mm -hmm. on how many deliveries you take, and it depends on how much they're charging you. 
So if you are willing to outsource and you're willing to have there to be a, a, a decline in service and, and ownership of that service you're providing and you say, okay, we're going third party, well, you need to do the math. You've got to do the math. What exactly is that going to cost me? You've got to sit your butt down at a computer, pull out all of your records, look and see exactly how many deliveries you've taken, what the average ticket is, how much your delivery insurance cost, how much in reimbursements you paid your drivers, you know, the wages, the workers' compensation, the unemployment. If you're not willing to do it, you shouldn't even be in business for the first That's place, right. in the first place. Hello. Period. Get out of the business. Go do something else. Or one of the one of the one of the things that to, just a, a side note that Mike Bausch from Andalini's Pizza said when we interviewed him not too long ago, if you're thinking about getting in this business, he goes, you first have to ask yourself if you need a daddy. If you need a daddy, <laughs> someone to take care of you, you probably shouldn't be in this business. He actually said so. That. <laughs> yeah, he goes, if you need a daddy, don't get into this business. And that's like it's like so. If you need a daddy to tell you to sit down and do the math to figure out whether you should be doing third party or delivery or not, you probably shouldn't be doing delivery in the first place. Shouldn't you should be working somewhere for somebody else right. who tells you what time to come in and clock in and clock out, go home. All right. So, okay. Um, so we we made a, uh, a we have a spreadsheet. Um, you know, it's 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 not elevated to a nice little web app or anything yet. But if you go to our website, perfectingpizza.com, click on free content, um, and then we have – it is called The Real Cost of Delivery. And if you uh, click on The Real Cost of Delivery, it's a free spreadsheet you can download. It allows you to put in all of your costs, and it will tell you how much it costs you per delivery mm. and, and, and annually, what it takes to do all of your deliveries. It will tell you if you're doing it by paying drivers to use their own vehicles – if you um, have your own fleet of cars, what it's going to cost you, and if you use a third-party delivery service, what it will cost you. Just plug your numbers in. It's going to take some time. Devote a day or two to it. Then plug that in, and you'll be able to see it right in front of you. This is what it's going to cost. And that doesn't um, factor in devaluing your brand value. That's right. Oh, yeah, not at all. Not even close. I mean, right. Yeah. You've got to factor that in. You're, you're leaving your brand's reputation in the hands of someone who doesn't care. Doesn't even come right. with a delivery bag to pick it up in a, a nice hot heated bag. So by the time it gets there, it's not even what it should be. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Man, I, I tell people if you're thinking about doing it, you're playing with fire. We would That's never. Right. You are. You, we would never. Yeah. And I, and the, I can't and the believe f- people are doing it. Well, and then that just tells you how lazy they are on their marketing to express. They don't need to go to an app to get your pizza delivered. I mean, people think, oh, I'm just missing the eight ball if I'm not on this app. I disagree. I think you need to let your message out more that you're the best in town for delivery, you know? Yeah. But I think Um, it's a symptom of people, you know, owners are tired. They're exhausted. So mm -hmm. this this isn't actually the problem. It's just a symptom. What's making them exhausted? What's making them tired? And I'm guessing it all boils down to you have the wrong team have the mm. wrong team. You're hiring the wrong people because when you have the right people, yeah. this is not a problem in your business. And, and, and honestly, it adds value to your business because when there's a mistake, when there's an issue, they handle it so well that the brand's reputation goes up. Boom. You heard it here first, guys. Now, listen, yeah. I think that's a perfect intro to what we really want to get down into the nuts and bolts today. Um, where guys, Crystal, 
is a machine at <laughs> employees and building a culture that no one else has. Um, and that's what we really want her to talk about the most today. So let me just get into asking you, Crystal, like, what would you say is the root of all the employment issues in the pizza and restaurant industry today? I mean, what's well, going on? Well, and that's, and let's, let's before, before yeah. that, let, let's just, let's, let's give your qualifications to answer this question. Uh, yes. Um, you, you took, uh, you were having in your, in your restaurant before you, and, and anybody that really wants to get me back up just a second to really understand how Vallejo's does, runs their business and how they've been super successful with their turnover and their employees and, and just cultivating a really good culture. You really need to go to our website. Um, you've got to be a member to get it. It's worth every penny. Um, just even if you just want to join for a month and then cancel, but, but join and watch the Vallejo's, the series of, um, Vallejo's, their, their profile. It's like, I'm trying to remember how many videos it's like about seven videos. Um, and it's worth the hour and a half of your time to watch from beginning to end to understand how they function. But anyway, you went from like a hundred percent turnover to 3%. And, you know, I got to say it doesn't stay at 3%, but we are always under 10% um, at that location. That's been more established that we've really hunkered down and gotten to the root of it. Um, so basically when we came in, um, we had a culture that was, I mean, my father-in-law is the most wonderful, kind person, but people walked all over him. And so there wasn't really this standard of team work there. It was everyone out for themselves and they were going to, you know, do what they wanted. And my father-in-law being very wonderful and very kind, just kind of allowed it to fester. And so when we came in with, you know, the youth and the vigor and the energy, and we were like, okay, here's the standard. And we set the bar high no one wanted that. They hated it. They rebelled against it. And they tested us at every, <laughs> every way. I mean, I think in the first week we had someone no call, no show because they wanted to see if we would actually fire them. And we, didn't. Wow. we ab- absolutely did. Um, and that was the one and only unemployment case that we've lost ever because we didn't know how to document properly before that. Um, wow. so anyways, we kind of had this very rebellious, I'm going to test you. I don't believe you. I, I'm going to fight everything you do. And um, long story short, we just kind of decided that if they were willing to treat us that way, they, I couldn't even imagine how they were treating the new hire or someone that they didn't like with no authority over them. And we just completely redesigned our hiring process because we knew if we changed who we brought in our business, we could change our business. Because our team is Vallejo's. Vallejo's is its people just like every other restaurant. So if you want to change your business, you have to change who is in your business, which often starts with yourself. But, so I, I, we just became obsessed with leadership development. We started going to leadership conferences. Um, we don't go to the restaurant, um, National Restaurant Association. Um, what's that big convention, the NRA? Mm-hmm. We don't go there because we go to a leadership conference at the same time, because I know if we can be better leaders and grow better leaders, we can have a better restaurant and a better team. Um, so we brought our, our turnover rate down to 3% and it, we didn't even realize it happened because we were so obsessed with just growing the people that were on our team and growing who we were. Now, the mistake we made was we assumed that when we opened our second restaurant, it would just instantly have that same culture. Um, and what we come to realize it's, it's a journey over a year 
it's probably takes one good year to really implement that culture. Um, okay. It takes probably two years, I would say, to turn around a culture. So one oh, year wow. to create it, two years to turn it around. Um, so I hope everybody here is hearing that because it's not an overnight process. I mean, it's, it's really not. No, and it's a lot of just digging. So like we'll hire someone through our hiring process and then they'll kind of be a mistake hire and we'll go, okay, let's go back to the interview. What did we miss? What did we not see that we should have seen? Or, you know, they were, they were a little too eager to tell me about their past employer's mistakes. Hmm. Like probably a negative person. Or, uh, yeah. you know, they, they, showed me, they told me about this problem that they had um, with their last employer. And they, yet they accepted no responsibility for being a part of that issue. So I don't want people like that. I, at Vallejo's, I want people to be like, this was my mistake and here's why. Because people who can own their mistakes are people who have power to do something about them. And so I want people who are excited about like, I tried this, it didn't work, and I learned and I grew. And you have to cultivate that in people because not everyone is like comfortable with that right away or maybe their past employer punished them for failure. Um, And so I kind of like dig through in the interview process, like tell me something you challenged yourself at so much that you failed. And that's what excites me about that person. And what I found most of all is someone who can't get there. I have no interest in being on my team. One, you know, one reason is because they're not ever going to be a leader or try to increase the brand value of Vallejo's. I expect everyone on our team to be a part of our growth, not just to ride, you know, the train that we're moving forward. They have to be a part of the engine that drives growth. So if you can't try something new and fail at it, you're not, you're just going to drag us. You're going to slow us down. You're going to drag us down. And I'm not interested in that. Right. But the second reason I want to hear about how they've had failure is I want to know how they handle it and how they can come out of it and how they can keep going and encourage others. Because when your team sees a leader fail and get up and keep going and be excited by it, they are going to be much more excited about your brand. Right. So we turned that around. So um, our, our second store's um, turnover rate is much lower than industry standard. It's not under 10% yet, which is our ultimate goal. Okay. But you just opened it. We just literally. opened in October. It hasn't even been a year. Um, right. you know, and you have to, here's the thing is when you're opening a restaurant, the reality is the reality. You've got two weeks to hire 50 people. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. There is an element of reality. Like I'm not one of those, like the standard is the standard and don't you ever compromise because reality sometimes requires compromise, but understand the journey that you're on and don't have this diluted sense of yourself. Okay. Mm, I made some good. compromises. I know I made compromises. What is my plan to go about correcting those compromises? We had okay. to get the doors open, but I knew that the team I hired initially was not the team that I was going to have in six months is not the team that I have in 12 months because either they grew or they got out. And those are the only options at Vallejo's. Wow. What I always like, (laughs) what I always try and tell everybody when they're first starting is the first crew will be your worst crew. Oh yeah. Is, is, you know, they're, they're the people you're after are, are the ones that have good solid employment right now. And those people aren't going to leave their good solid jobs to come to an unproven, untested, uh, concept that they fear might be gone in six months or that's a year. Right. That's right. 
So a lot of them, you know, are because, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that all unemployed people are people you want to avoid, but no, by no means. But a lot of times, more often than not, the people you want already have good, reliable jobs. And they are they, they've got usually got families or, or bills they need to make sure they they you know they're taken care of and them up and leaving a good reliable job to go to an unproven place is scary mm-hmm. so a lot of times you're getting the bottom of the barrel sometimes when you, you that first crew yeah yep. there's a point that you need money to start coming in rather than going out yeah yeah exactly <laughs> the sooner the that. better <laughs> you know, go in with eyes wide open so yeah. i think the biggest mistake people make in this element of owning their own business or restaurant is that they're not thinking far enough out. They say, okay, I got my people hired. They're going to do their job. That's a huge mistake. People are not going to do right. their job. So you have to go, okay, here's the crew that I, you know, I have to open the restaurant or here's the crew I currently have. And we've been, you know, we're five years old or 10 years old. Where do I want to be? And you map out that journey. So as I'm looking at all of these huge companies coming into Kenosha, I'm going, oh, crap. We're going to have, you know, we're having to fight for good team members. So I have to map out this two-year journey of how do I compete with them in two years? But if I waited for two years, I would be in a bad spot. That's right. So you're not looking far enough out and taking action now. You're just kind of dealing in the, in the moment. So it's just a very myopic viewpoint of like, I just have tunnel vision and all I can do is what I have right now. And that's just not the case. Who do you want? And how do you discover who they are? And where are they hanging out? Find them mm-hmm. where they're hanging out. Are they, hang, They're hanging out on social media, that's for sure. That's so true. if you're a cool mm-hmm. brand, they're going to track you down. My constant question is, who do we need to become or who do we need to be in order for the top people to knock on our doors? And my Perfect. obsession is becoming that. But in the meantime, of course, we have job postings. You know, but that's just where I'm constantly asking myself, who do we need to be? or become in order to have them knock down our doors. So you, you, you've answered, you, you've answered probably like the first three questions that we had for you all, all together right there. So, uh, yeah. So I, the, the next thing, I mean, what, you know, you, you, you mentioned before earlier that, that most operators are, they're, they're exhausted. They just don't have time. They're burned out. You know, they, they just don't have the, the time and the effort to really sit down and, and invest into this. So, if you could boil it down into some really simple bullet points of, you know, maybe top three things, what, what can an operator that is burned out and, and exhausted do right now to make a difference in their workplace, to create that culture where people want to come work there? I mean, are there, there are three things that they could do like really quickly without putting a ton of work into it? Okay. So the first thing I would say, so you're, you're empty, you're tired, you're exhausted, you have to fill yourself up somehow. You have to start pouring information into you to energize you. If you don't find a, an amazing podcast, an amazing audiobook about developing yourself as a leader, you are going to continue to be exhausted and make really poor decisions. So find mm. leadership um, growth through either a book, a podcast, um, an audiobook, however you ingest information, find that and keep pouring yourself up so you're full. The second thing is, is sometimes you have to like leapfrog activities. So for instance, um, let's say hypothetically speaking, Father's Day is, you know, less than a month away. 
that you don't have Father's Day figured out. You, you know, your marketing needed to be done last week. You're going to miss the deadline. My goodness, just forget about Father's Day and go towards 4th of July. Like sometimes you just have to leapfrog an activity. So with hiring, sometimes you just have to leapfrog. Okay, I've got some troubled team members. They're, you know, I think one's stealing from me, but, you know, maybe it's 30 bucks a week. You can kind of eat the cost of that. Leave that be for the moment and start going, okay, here's my hiring process. Here's who I want. Here's the qualities I need. And here are the questions that's going to bring that out. So I would say sometimes you just got to leapfrog things. Let problems stay problems for a little bit. I'm not saying fester. Don't like be spineless. Just go, I'm acknowledging here's a problem and I'm choosing to be patient on acting on it because that sometimes is in the best interest of our business as well. So in the process, I know I want to fire these three people. Okay, I'm not going to. I am going to hire three amazing people before I even get to act on the troubled people. So develop your interview questions and then start constantly priming that pump. So I would say, you know, there's one, two. And the third is start finding the really subtle leader within your group that no one else recognizes. Because if you can convert one person that's currently on your team to see the vision that you have for your business, they can, then you've just multiplied your efforts. But find someone who's the really good listener. Find the person that everyone goes and talks to about like, hey, my mom won't listen or hey, you know, I had a rough day at home. Find the person that constantly people feel safe talking to and that's your leader. That's the leader no one knows is the true leader. Hmm. And get them. Perfect. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Um, So we do like personality profiles on our team. And, you know, one is, um, you know, one person is very decisive, very action oriented. That's who I am. Then there's another type of person that's very calculated. They want to run numbers. They want spreadsheets. They want, you know, Michael, does this sound familiar? Yes, yes. That loves kind of like the operations. Then there's the, the people that are the life of the party. You know, they're the ones who like they want, everything's a meeting until they walk in the door. Um, and then there's the stabilizing people and they like consistency. That is often your true leader is the stabilizing one because that's where everyone feels safe. And when people feel safe in your business, they don't want to go somewhere else. They don't want to look for another job. So those are the unspoken leaders that we often look for to really go, okay, you know the pulse. What do I need to know? You know where everyone's at. Who should I be aware like that maybe is looking? So go to those stabilizing forces. Go to the people that people feel safe around. They often know your business better than you do. Yeah, so it's, it sounds like you definitely, you definitely, regardless, I mean, there's, there's no way to boil this down into a real quick, I just need to do these three things on a checklist and I'm all set. I mean, you've got to, you've got to devote yourself to it. You've got to say, I, I need to make a change. I need to fully invest myself into this change and I've just got to start somewhere and, and go with it. You do, and it's just, you know, you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you get sick yeah. and tired of being yes. reactionary and letting your business happen to you rather than happen to your business. And so oftentimes, like, I think the people that I see of who really turn around as an owner are the people who are just, they're broken and they're going, there's got to be a better way. And then they decide, okay, you know, like, you're not going to just get up and run a marathon. You're going to go, I'm sick of being exhausted. I'm sick of being sick. 
what am I going to do about it? And our businesses are sick and yet we're just treating it with a bandaid. Yeah. We've got yeah. to get to the bottom part of it. It's long, but here's the thing is very few owners, independent restaurant owners are willing to put in the work. And so your work will stand out. I've had lots right. of people from competitors pull me aside at like pizza competitions going, Hey, I saw your Facebook video. You know, I've, I've been working at this place for 26 years, but I think I want to apply with you. And I'm going, okay, <laughs> okay, okay, let's talk. Yeah. So where do you see, I mean, where do you see things going in the future for, for the pizza industry as a whole with, with a whole way, you know, the, the, the way you have to be now to be successful? I mean, do you, do you see it only getting worse? Do you see it stabilizing or, or where, where are we going? You no, know, I think with any sort of change in an industry or any sort of um, generational transition, I think what you're going to find is the people are either going to step up or they're going to get out. They're going to step up yep. or they're going to get out. And, you know, we've got a lot of independent pizzeria owners that are just, you know, they're, they've had a good run. You know, they're in their 70s or maybe even 80s or 60s. And they've put in some good decades. Um, I think they should probably either look at bringing fresh talent on who can really rejuvenate it, their brand, and they've got to learn to let go and let that happen. Or they're going to probably want to look for a buyer. Um, I mean, you never want to close a brand. That would not be good. You've put in a lot of hard work. But there's a lot of young, independent owners that are just excited, but maybe a little bit lost. And I think to them is don't feel like you have to be polished to move forward. Like just take a step forward and go for it. For us, like, I didn't have someone to kind of map this out for me or someone that had gone before me and done it. I just had to take this huge, massive leap and saying, okay, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm going to start making long-term decisions that I don't know are going to work out or not. And luckily, they worked out. But we've had a lot of failures along the way, we, a lot of test bullets that didn't work. So if you're going to have a test bullet, don't go all in. Like, take a calculated and be like, okay, I can lose this much money on this effort. And if it doesn't fail, it's not going to kill me. Or if it fails, it's not going to kill me. Um, but just two test bullets. And then capitalize on the moments and the things that work. When something works, go all in. That's when you need to have courage and a backbone to go for it. I love it. Mm. Yeah. It's like, it, it, yeah, I, I kind of see there's, there's an evolution going on right now. Almost a, you know, it's, it's, things are evolving and the old, the old way is dying and it's, it's gone mm-hmm. and it's just, it's over and it's not coming back and it's either get on board or get out of the way. Yeah. And it's don't wait. And honestly, just own what you are. So this is what I see. That makes me sad is like people who are not interested in growing kind of the new way that the pizza industry is going, but they're, they won't, they won't get out either. So I'm, it's like a long slow death. If you're not mm-hmm. going to do what it takes then sell and reap the rewards of your hard work. Don't let it die to where you have nothing left. That's right. Yeah. That's good though. Um, so that's kind of, I think that was all the questions we had. Um, do you have anything else that you want to add total about the whole, the whole, it's hard to find good help. It's impossible. Kids just don't want to work these days. Um, <laughs> advice, any, anything you want to, you, you, that we, you didn't already hit that you think would be helpful. Well, one, but it does not helpful to bitch and moan about it or whine and complain about it. 
that's, there's nothing you can do. And unfortunately we have more and more people coming from broken homes or we have more and more people coming, you know, into the workforce that aren't equipped. There is nothing you can do about it. So find a way to get excited about being that opportunity for people. So, you know, we have people working for us that are in their eighties and we have people that are 15 and I have to go to the people who are older, have been with us many decades saying, Hey, I know they didn't have the work at, they don't have the work ethic you had at their age, but what an opportunity to change the rest of their lives. You Mm. get to be the one that changes everything for them in the future. So partner Mm. them up. And as an owner, you have an incredibly awesome ability to change people's lives forever. And it is tragic when you don't seize those moments. When you have someone who grew up in the foster care system, who doesn't know how to work, who is a little jaded, can you see beyond that and see, I can be the person that changes their life forever? That's what you get. That's what we get. And yet so many people are whining and complaining about, well, they don't know how to work. So teach them. So show them. So be the one person in their life that cares enough to add value to their lives. They will never forget that. I, I often tell my team, the restaurant industry is the most noble industry there is. Because how many other industries get to touch people at their very first job, they're kind of like redo in life, they're redo in life, the restart, or their last chance. We get to meet people in those profound moments of their life and we can change everything about who they are if we just care. You cannot be in the Russian industry and not care about people. And too few people realize that that means their team. Right. Yeah. So that's what I, um, I have to say. I the, um, the, the, go back, go back to another quote from Mike Bausch there at Andalini's in Oklahoma. Um, he said, he said, if 17, 18 and 19 year olds can defeat the Nazis back in the fifties, forties and fifties, you know, or not fifties, but forties, um, he goes, I think we can teach them how to make pizza. Absolutely. So, and yeah. you know what? They have a, an incredible amount of creativity and if you're talking again, going back to social media, oh my goodness, leverage that. That's right. Absolutely. So, Crystal, um, to find out more about your pizzeria, what is your website? Yeah, so our website is valeospizza.com, V-A-L-E-O-S pizza.com. Um, we're also okay. on Facebook. We're on Instagram. All of our handles are at Valeos Pizza. We've got our, our own handles. No one else had them before us. Um, <laughs> getting into musically, I'm learning about it. That's a little out of my comfort zone, but we're gonna we're gonna crush it. Um, and um, Twitter, so all that fun stuff. Perfect, perfect. And then just to um, uh, one thing we forgot to mention was you were actually one of the three finalists for Pizza Today's Young Entrepreneur of the Year award. Yes. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that is correct. It was super exciting. I got to go to Vegas. I got to give a, a speech that is on our Facebook page. It's also on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. Um, so you guys can check it out. And one really cool thing that I'm going to tell you guys about was um, the owner of Stanislaw saw my speech on online. And he sent me a, an amazing card, you know, handwritten card with a gift, um, a gift set of sauces. So I opened it up and I read it. It was super awesome. And I posted his card on our Facebook page. And then he had his VP of marketing contact me and invite me to an all expenses paid trip to their farms. 
So wow. he's going to give me a tour of their farms, um, and I get to meet him in August. That'll be great. Oh, that's great. Wow, yeah. that's great. Well, congratulations. Thank you. On that, that's, you know, I'm sure there was, it was a pretty, uh, pretty stiff competition just to get narrowed down into that, uh, that final three. Honestly, and, uh, I did not. I thought if I get in top 40, I'm going to be thrilled. So, <laughs> honestly, there's so many amazing pizza restaurants. I never thought I had a chance. So, but I went for it. Yeah. And, you know, people think we're doing some pretty cool stuff. I, one thing I always have to do is step back and go, this is not people's normal. Like our, we've created such a unique culture and a unique outlook in our environment at Vallejo's that I often forget that most people don't operate this way. And sometimes mm. you have to step back and go, okay, we are doing something right. We're so hyper-focused with like improving who we are that sometimes I forget how awesome we are. And so that's yeah. also something business owners have to get better at. Step back and acknowledge how awesome you've been doing things because you're in business, which means you're doing a whole lot right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, quit looking at the negative. And uh, what, was, oh, what was it from the uh, – that just made me think of something. What, Matt, what book was it? Positively Outrageous Service or was it Raving Fans? One of the two. Um, there was a restaurant opened up across the street from another restaurant. And when that restaurant opened up, it hurt the business of the existing restaurant. Mm -hmm. And the manager was sitting in the, the restaurant with the owner or the district manager or, or somebody higher up than him. And he was looking out his window and complaining about how bad the business across the street was hurting them. So the, the district manager said, I've, I've got the cure. He goes, I know exactly how to fix this problem. And so he left, came back. And what he brought back with him was a can of black paint and a paintbrush. And he painted the window black so the manager could no longer look out the window huh. and complain about the com competition. It forced him to get up and do something. Wow. There you go. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So you can't, you can't focus on the negative. You have no. to focus on the positive. And, uh, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Crystal, for sitting in with us. and. You're welcome. Uh, and helping us work through our all of our uh, um, oh I don't even want to list quirks on our first uh, podcast. So uh, great information. Um, definitely check out. Uh, people need to check out your website. Um, check out your video series that you let us film uh, yes. up at your pizzeria on perfectingpizza.com. Worth every penny of a month's membership to see all of those videos. Absolutely. And, and um I believe my email address is on there or at least put it on if it's not there, if we could, sure. or you can mm -hmm. just email us at, you know, info at Vallejo's pizza. And if you have any questions, happy to ask, like answer them. Great. I just want to share everything we've done because, um, I mean, go through perfecting pizza, but any questions I'm happy to answer. <laughs> we failed so many in times, but yeah. we succeeded at the <laughs> Yeah. And that was, that email was info at vallejospizza.com, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or you can put up my okay. personal one. That's no problem either. Okay. Alrighty. Siler. So next podcast is going to be with Will Grant um, of That's a Some Pizza in Washington State. Uh, Washington, or, um, Will was the 2017 winner of the Caputo Cup. Um, does some amazing things with some sourdough and we're going to find out everything there is to know about sourdough hopefully on our next podcast so um and go ahead and guys it. and google them i mean i think you should google will grant ahead of time he actually has an eight pack 
of uh, abs. If you Google him, Will Grant, he'll show up with eight packs and he eats pizza every day. So he's got an amazing story coming for us. You know, that, I think that's the secret to being skinny is you have to eat pizza every day. That's right. Every that's day. Right. Yeah. Every, every darn day. If you miss yes. a day, it's, it doesn't work. No. <laughs> okay. All righty. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and Siler, I will uh, see you next week then. And thank you very much again, Crystal. Yep, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye.